I want to return to our discussion of sea shanties. Earlier in the episode, we learned about how they were used to coordinate labor tasks, and we heard an example of a typical work song. Today, many people assume that chanties have an English heritage. But according to scholar Gib Schreffler, sea chanties can be traced back to the 1830s, originating from African-American music and borrowing heavily from popular minstrel songs of the time. Also, a quick warning to parents with children listening. Brian attempts to sing a shanty at the end of the segment. This may be a good time to cover their sensitive ears. Well, I do, as I believe that shanty is a genre of music, I believe that was a genre that emerged in the Americas, more specifically in what we could call the African diaspora of the Western Atlantic. So I would include the United States along with other countries of the, the Caribbean and then this kind of um, Black Atlantic world. So the genre emerges there, and it's in the paradigm, I would say, of West African song, in which I was about to say work song, but again, I want to be careful. It's not only for work specifically, but it's a, a paradigm in which the practice is to embed song in physical action, whether that's uh-huh. a play action, a dance action, or whether it's a work action. Um, the song doesn't necessarily exist as a separate entity in itself, but it's a vocalization, a sound that you make within another activity where you're, you're moving your body in some way. And this paradigm, I believe, you know, was carried with Africans to the new world and was reimagined in, you know, what came to be African-American music and African-Americans use this type of genre Shanty was not the only form. There was more than one type of work song form, but they used them in various working contexts across the whole network of African-American life, all the way from the deepest plantations from there downriver into the seaports and then eventually onto the ships. And when do you, when would you place that time-wise? I, I, I don't mean a specific day, but roughly in, in which decades or what period of... Uh, American history in this case. About the second half of the 1830s was when a very notable context emerged for uh, multiracial labor, wherein white workers entered what could have been considered up to that point a black labor context, and that was the context of loading cotton aboard ships in ports of the, the, the Gulf in the United States. And I believe that the, that was that was the time period when, as it turned out, this labor of loading cotton was one of, if not the best paid labors you could do on shore, best paid manual labor. It was a coveted profession, and many um, local white Americans, as well as many immigrants from Ireland and Germany especially, had been coming at the time, were um, entering this profession in number. So that's about when we can, I think we can start to narrow down. And then we start to hear, see accounts after that of these, um, these immigrants had come on ship and then they, they work for a season because cotton loading was a seasonal profession. When that season is done, they go back onto a ship and become sailors. And we read of people on the ship saying, wow, these, this, this crew that we have is excellent. They, they were people, these are the guys who work loading cotton in one season and now they're back on the ship and they can set all the sails with all these songs and very efficiently and they work very hard. 
Could you talk to me a little bit about the connection between sea shanties and minstrelry? The development of the shanty genre was happening at precisely the same time as the blackface minstrel genre of music was was developing in the United States. Um, we know that the minstrel music was, at that time, the middle of the 19th century I'm talking about, kind of starting in the 1830s, having its first peak actually in a year we can pinpoint, 1843, and then continuing from there, the minstrel genre was the most popular genre of music in the United States and eventually spreads globally. And this would have been popular music with all of the sailors. Whether the sailors were white or black, they were interested in this type of music. It was the popular music. I think we need to um, throw aside the notion that sailors on their ships would have sang what they would have considered to be traditional songs. They didn't, weren't necessarily interested in singing old songs. They were interested in the music they liked. So it was music that was current to them. And the current popular mm -hmm. music, by all accounts, was minstrel music. And we know that the sailors, on their off-duty time when they weren't working, their entertainment music in this period was um, largely made up of minstrel music as well, which they would recreate with the instruments like the banjo and the fiddle and the tambourine. And we also know that when sailors got to port, they would, for entertainment, they would head to a theater and maybe see a performance of minstrel music. Now, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about minstrel music. What resonates with us in hindsight is the racist nature of the genre, and there's no discounting of that, and there's no, we shouldn't yield any ground to the fact that that was part of the minstrel genre. But it's interesting as well to consider that um, at the time minstrel music was starting to develop, this was... For many white Americans, it was their first exposure to something like black American musical style. And this was a style that, that caught on like wildfire amongst white Americans. And the early minstrel music, um, perhaps more than many people realize, probably was a good reflection of African American musical style. Now, that ranged on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. You could have a really awful you know, interpretation or you could have quite a good one. But in general, it was in the ballpark of what could be identified as an African-American music st musical style. And thus, uh, I think it made African-American musical characteristics familiar to a very, very large, large audience and made them popular. So I think at this, by this point, the mid-19th century, Americans generally, if we could say that, and then soon the whole world was becoming more familiar with the characteristics of African-American musical style. So this um, made the reception of shanties that much easier since they were also in African-American musical style. I'll just conclude by giving you um, a, a close comparison between one minstrel song that's very familiar and um, the shanty form. And perhaps one of the most famous minstrel songs was Stephen Foster's De Camptown Ladies, published in 1950. And of course, that's the song that goes, the camp town ladies sing this song, do-da, do-da, the camp town race track five miles long, oh, do-da day. Now that song is in the exact form of a shanty. I could say the halyard shanty, the one used to haul on the lines that raise the hmm. sails. Do-da, do-da. Those are two pulls. Do-da is the first one. The second do-da is your second pull. And then that's your first chorus. And then you have a second chorus, 
oh do da day on oh you would pull and on day you would pull and that's exactly wow. like i could sing ranzo boys ranzo as i sang earlier so i could sing my ruben ranzo and go um um Oh, the camp town ladies sing the song, Ranzo boys, Ranzo, the camp town racetrack five miles long, Ranzo boys, Ranzo. So I believe the minstrel songs had that form because they emerged more or less from African American musical style, and the shanties also came from that origin. So they hmm. happened to have the same lyrical form, and the shanties singers borrowed from minstrel song lyrics all the time. I've always associated sea shanties with uh, English heritage. I mean, in my case, specifically Benjamin Britten. But I couldn't be the only one who assumes that the heritage of sea shanties are Anglo-American white. Uh, How did we get so off track? Well, in the 19th century, the writers about shanties did not think that they were English or British primarily. In fact, British writers commented on the genre and said, look at these songs, look at their lyrics, what they're singing about. They they have the absolute aroma of the Americas to them. And American writers would look at them and say, these songs have the sound of black American music. But in the early 20th century, there emerged the... um, rather new phenomenon of academic folklore. (laughs) Oh, come on. Don't tell me the answer to this is academics screwing up again. Come on, Gib. Well, you have a cohort of English folklorists. They're very enamored with the idea of folk, and they're developing theoretically the idea of this word folk, which had not been in great usage up to that point. And they're thinking about it in these ways like, well, Folk is speaks to the true essence of a people. Right. You know, it's kind of what's inside of you. It comes with you right. as a people, not as a, a culture that any people could learn, but it's almost in your DNA. And yep. we could recover the um the the English spirit and the English people if we can recover <laughs> our kind of our true essence of the folk of the past. And people looking at shanties. On one hand, we're looking for a specific thing, so they had their sort of confirmation bias. They wanted the pure folk essence, so they were rejecting any kind of popular musical source. They already had uh, their idea in mind that it was English, so they're being highly selected in the material and and presenting that and shaping it to fit the narrative that they had. Well, uh, we're going to do a call and response right now. You ready? (laughs) Okay. I just learned a deeply cool thing. I just learned a deeply cool thing. You just made the story ring. You just made the story ring. That's all I got, Gib. Thank you so much for joining us on Backstory. My pleasure. Gib Schreffler is assistant professor of music at Pomona College, 